You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You know, we spent a lot of time on yesterday's show talking about the Vegas odds telling you that we're likely to get a Bill versus Brady Super Bowl and asking you what other crazy matchups you would possibly want to see tonight on Thursday Night Football. One of those weird matchups that somehow, some way could. No, it can't. It's not that good of a game. But still, ah, we do have Thursday Night line. Football. We have the Vikings, we have the Steelers. Right, there's a lot on the line. That doesn't mean it's going to be a great game, but at least there's a lot of drama with it. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our guests join us on the Goodyear Hotline. And the Straight Talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless that we start with is, to me, it's sort of like, you know I love Below Deck. Like, I love these bad Ugh. reality shows. Mm-hmm. That's what tonight is in Thursday Night Football. There's going to be a lot of drama. It's going to be kind of predictable at times. It's not going to be pretty through most of it. And somehow at the end of it all, I'm going to say, why did I watch that? But I'm going to tune in next Thursday again. <laughs> That's what tonight is. There's a lot on the line here. This is a Steelers team that's in a much better place this week than they were when they got absolutely thumped 41 to 10 and had us all asking, should they play music at practice or what what do they need to do, right? They they beat the Ravens, they come in feeling much better, they come in in a better position, still only 6-5 and 1, right? But with that wild card race, they're still very much in it. The Vikings are more like the Steelers were coming out of week 12. They just got beat by the Lions. The Lions! They just got (laughs) beat by a team that hadn't won a game in 364 days, Fitz. So you've got a pretty devastated Vikings team that either will continue to sink into the mire of what last week did to them or is looking for the same kind of bounce back that the Steelers had last week. Well, and when you look at these two teams, you think about potential so much, right? Like, that's the thing that I think... When we look at the Steelers and you have the brands that they have on there and the Vikings, and, and we all know uh, that the Vikings come in with expectations every year that are never quite met. This It feels like this is the what might have been bowl, like in the world of bowl <laughs> season, right? Both of these teams have so much at the beginning of the year, had so much potential for something, and now they're both just hanging on by a thread. And I understand that a little bit more, as crazy as it sounds from the the Steelers standpoint because I I did think Ben was going to be washed this year that one of the few things I've been right about this season is that Ben wasn't going to look right and that the Steelers were going to have tough sledding ahead I I don't know that I can figure out what's wrong with the Vikings because there's never an easy answer and to that end Damian Woody ESPN NFL analyst was on Barton Hunt earlier talking about Mike Zimmer and why frankly they need a win for him I think this is a big game for Mike Zimmer you know, obviously coming off the Detroit Lions debacle last week, losing to Detroit in Detroit. Um, you got a home game. Short week against Pittsburgh Steelers. You got guys coming back from injury. Man, if they lose this game, man, it's it's just – I just don't see a pass for them to get to the postseason. And then ultimately, I think uh, I think that spells doom for Mike Zimmer. I like uh, – listen, I respect the heck out of Mike Zimmer. I think he's a great defensive mind. But – too many times we've seen with the Minnesota Vikings, they just like implode or find ways to lose games that they're supposed to win. And uh, I think ultimately that's going to that's gonna fall on Mike Zimmer. I think that's true. And for a couple of reasons, there's a problem in Minnesota with execution. They just have not become the contender that the investment in their quarterback position and their expectations would would tell you. You've got Rick Spielman at GM, you've got Zimmer at coach, and you've got Cousins at quarterback. Who's the easiest to get rid of? Kirk Cousins has a $45 million cap hit next year, Mm. whether they trade him or not. 
31 million this year, 45 million next year. So you're kind of stuck with Kirk Cousins or you're stuck with a massive dead cap hit if you want to get rid of him. So in the end, you got to split up this trio probably that hasn't been able to get it done. Spielman's been there since 2012. Vikings are 11th in the league in regular season wins over the course of his tenure. Overall record of just over 500, 545. So you've made the playoffs a couple times. You know, you go out and get a quarterback who's, I, I think I heard Barnwell and, and Pablo today on ESPN Daily describe him as one of the best stop gaps, or maybe that was Golik and Canty, but someone said it earlier today. He's never going to be elite, but he's going to be one of the best between the elite guys you're looking for. And that's just not enough for the money that they're paying him and for the deal that they gave him. That's not on Zimmer, but plenty of other things are. And when it comes to execution, I do think when you've had someone around since 2014 and things just aren't going the way you want, and you're stuck with the quarterback end of the year. I guess the question for you, Fitz, is do you think you get rid of him even if you're stuck with a quarterback, or do you try to get rid of you know, everybody at once, keep him through next year, and get rid of him when, when you presumably don't re-up Cousins? Well, I think, you know, honestly, part of this is even if your hand, hands are tied when it comes to Kirk Cousins, I think you still have to look at the coaching position completely separate of this. Now, as I've said a couple of times when we've talked about, uh, in general, when we've talked about uh, coaching hot seats, I believe in trying to get the GM out and then let the GM hire the new coach so that we don't end up drawing this out year over year over year. I think part of what makes things difficult for the Vikings is I always hold teams to a high standard, or coaches, I should say, to a high standard for what they're known for. So if you're Mike mm -hmm. Zimmer and you came in known as a defensive guy and you know, the first year your defense in, in points allowed was 11th. And then every other year, top 10. But now, all of a sudden, the last two years, 29th. This year, 25th. Like, the defense has fallen apart under the guy that is the leader because of his prowess on that side of the ball. So now you've got this weird situation where the Vikings have invested in a quarterback that hasn't been able to make them anything other, other than mediocre with a coach that hasn't been bad enough to make it very clear that he yeah. should be gone, but hasn't been Spielman good enough. and Zimmer have been fine. But yeah, and that's the worst spot you to be in. Be it's just like forever, fine. yeah, right. And but I don't know what you do when you're stuck in like okay, and that's where expectations matter so much, right? Like as a Raiders fan, I'd, I'd kill for fine every year instead of suck. But then you you run fine for a few years, and then you're like, oh, fine stinks. I want to be great. Like so, it is interesting because the Vikings are fine, but that's just not going to be good enough for what they want. Yeah, it's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz on ESPN Radio, guest join us on the Goodyear Hotline. There are some people whose sort of reputations are on the line, if not their jobs. Mike Zimmer's job very much could be. Spielman certainly in the crosshairs, and then Cousins will stick around. If they even wanted to try to take away some of that money, it would have to come via restructuring, and that would sort of guarantee he'd be around even longer, which even though he's having one of his best seasons is still not what I think they want. And that's an interesting part about this, too, is Kirk Cousins, while the team is not playing that great, has the best touchdown-interception ratio of anyone in the NFL. Incredible, um, you know, ball security is really helping a team that makes mistakes in other places. He's nearing his best passer rating of all time, and he's nearing his best in terms of total touchdowns. So Cousins somehow playing his best while the team is potentially nearing elimination is, is an 
icky part of this. On the other side, you've got, you know, what the end of the line looks like for Ben Roethlisberger, whose team is sort of hanging on because of a defense in TJ Watt and others that are that are keeping them alive despite him just not being the guy anymore. Um, so there's a lot of people you're sort of watching and wondering what 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 are they going to look like in Ben's case, will they even be around? But what will things look like for them in the coming years? Yeah, I mean, the Steelers are just up a creek. And, and you know, I've been saying this now for a year and a half, but this was the inevitability. They never mm-hmm. addressed the quarterback position. They didn't want to have a Jordan Love, Aaron Rodgers situation. So they never really got aggressive about figuring out what's next. And now they're stuck with Mason Rudolph, which is not an option. And in a, in a year where the draft class is not particularly good at quarterback, there's no clear option. They're going to have to be aggressive and hope at free agency. But it's only not that long ago that we sat on ESPN and told you it was going to be unprecedented movement at the quarterback mm-hmm. position. And it wasn't. Good quarterbacks don't end up on the open market. So I just I can't believe you forgot Dwayne Haskins. I mean, that's, oh, that's clearly the future. And that is some straight talk. Straight talk wireless. No contract. No compromise. Last night we talked about Steph trying to get 16 threes in a game. It didn't happen for him. But you won't believe who did accomplish that and more. We'll tell you about it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz Podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. The ESPN app. Sirius XM. Channel 80. Sarah Spain. Jason Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. In fact, ESPN Radio is presented. You know what? I'm just going to try all that again. In fact, (laughs) ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Save with your bundle auto, home, or motorcycle insurance. Visit Progressive.com. Reading is hard for me, Sarah. You know, one step at a time. I had a good day with it yesterday. Today, a little step back. Just focus on the talking today. Don't have to do both. Just the talking is, I'll do the reading, you do the talking. Okay, that's that. See, we got a system (laughs) going here. All right. We need to get you caught up on a couple of things because we yesterday gave you some of the best stories happening around the world of sports thought some of them were amusing and in the world of uh, the sports god shining down upon us they have updated many of those stories so i want to start with the coyotes because we were joking yesterday that uh, because they are behind in their rent payments and tax payments in the state of arizona and with the stadium uh, the arena i should say had locked them out and we had this mindset of everybody showing up in full pads why not let me let me have nice things, full regalia as they stand outside waiting to be allowed in, only to find out that the doors have been padlocked and there's an eviction notice on it. Turns out, though, that is not the case as they may have gotten partially squared away. Mm-hmm. That was the case, and then they were publicly embarrassed. So according to Mikey Stevens, 81, a reporter uh, who just spoke with the Glendale City manager, the Coyotes have presented checks that make them current for the 2020 21 season keep in mind that this is now the 2021 22 season so they have checks that are current for last season and they've paid up game day expenses for this season but they have not paid rent for their arena he says story to come so it sounds like maybe not as clean of a of a of a tying of the bow on that story just yet yeah, well, you know, I remember when I was a kid. See, this is this will date how old I am. I remember when I was a kid, I had to answer the phone. Kids, check it out. There's a thing called a landline. 
and mm. get, you know, cause we didn't have anything. And so I always answered the phone because you never knew if bill collectors were going to be calling. So I was a little kid and I could say checks <laughs> in the mail. This nice, feels nice. like checks in the mail. Yeah. Like leave it, leave it to the kid to sort of defer the bill collectors. But, uh, this feels like that moment where you're like, no, 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 no. Like that's most of what I owe you. And yeah. you know, give me a couple of weeks. We'll get now the they definitely money. just stapled the wrong cover sheet to a different, the right cover sheet to the wrong story. So they could be like, Oh, I can't believe it. I definitely wrote the paper. I just stapled the wrong one and turned it in. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's another classic. Uh, all right, Spade and Fitz on ESPN Radio. That's not the only story that's getting a, a little update here. Steph Curry yesterday, we had this dream scenario where maybe he would turn around and just make 16 threes in one game, which would then give him uh, the all-time record. Now we know it's an inevitability, and Steph was not kind enough to give us what we wished for last night. We won't hold that against him mm. moving forward. But it's interesting because as impressive as 16 would be, that wouldn't even be the best number in basketball this week. Shout out to high school junior Hannah Cohn, who made 19 threes in a game this week. That is the new national record for high school girls basketball. That is beastly. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. I mean, that's probably got to be a record for men's too, right? I mean, do we know with certainty that a, a male player has hit 19 threes? That's an absurd I amount. Imagine. So she had 61 points in the game out of her team's 88 total, 57 of those points from beyond the arc. She had 11 of them in the first half. Um, yeah, I kind of joked on Twitter today. I said, you know, Steph wanted to break that record last night. He would have had to have a game like Hannah. Um, uh, you know, no shade to Steph. Uh, just because he hasn't done it doesn't mean he couldn't. I, I almost think that he will take that as a challenge. Uh, and I hope he, she gets invited to his next camp so she can be the next uh, AZ FUD getting that NIL deal from Steph's camps. Well, if there's anything I can also assure you, I mean, her dad, it turns out, is the Huskies boys basketball coach, Josh Cohn. So, uh, you know, I, I think there's going to be a lot of opportunity for him. So, yeah, she, you know, might, good, get, she good. might get some uh, little bit of recruiting with those kind of numbers. I mean, but that's also one of the cool things that's happening now. Like, you can look at it and say, man, you, you build a following, you have a moment like that. Holy cow, you can come in and start to monetize it. I'm just saying that's mm -hmm. one of the things. I love about nil, uh, just because <laughs> NIL is too difficult to say. Uh, Spain and Fitz, let's go to something that obviously uh, your you've got all your all your eyes because you have eighteen of them. You have all your eyes, all of my on, many eyes. on the Chicago. It's an awkward time for me to have to tell everyone. Yes, I do have eighteen eyes. Most of them are covered by my clothes. Fitz, that was a very right. personal thing that I told you in confidence. Well, we're married, so these are the things <laughs> we can true. share. Remember, According to the how, internet, this is how I'm trying to get my two hundred and fifty million dollars. <laughs> Long story. Go listen to the podcast the other night. Uh, the Bulls basically, like, I'm pretty sure are going to text you. You up and see if you want to just come play for them <laughs> because they're down to 11 players as they travel to Florida uh, at this point for their game against the Heat. They have put five different players in the last mm. nine days on the COVID-19 protocol. What the heck's going on in Chicago, Sarah? Listen, man, this is not just in Chicago, and it's, it's something we talked about again on the show last night. We were very prescient in our conversations. The COVID problem, as things get shut down and people are inside more because of the weather, as people perhaps start to take things less seriously because they have a false sense of security because of vaccines or otherwise, um, it's going to keep going up. And right now, not only do they ha not have DeMar DeRozan, Matt Thomas, Kobe White, Javante Green, uh, in, in the protocols because of that. White and green, the only positives confirmed by the team so far. So um, obviously we wait and see on the others. But um, Caruso is out with the hamstring and Patrick Williams has been out for a while with, with a wrist. So they had to sign a 16th player through the hardship exception. 
Um, that's how serious this is. And I ha I heard people kind of just gabbing. I guess I didn't hear them. I read people gabbing on Twitter about, you know, is there a plan in the NBA if you are out? And I, I, I think we'll ask Ramona Shelburne this later because I know if your spread is caused by unvaccinated players in the NFL, they were very adamant about, you know, you don't get to redo it or postpone. I'm not sure in in the sense of the NBA, if there's any changes to who or, or what the cause of your spread is, if that affects whether you can postpone or not. But in addition to the Bulls having those issues, both the Pacers and the Raptors had to cancel practice today because of Rick Carlisle having COVID. Um, and he's in the health and safety protocols. I, I heard someone say that he had a positive test. I don't know if he needs to get follow-ups to, to make sure that he's officially positive. But, um, you know, it's not just those teams, Fitz. The Pacers, the, the Bulls, the Raptors, these are teams that keep playing other squads. And the risk for that spread is, I think, what concerns me most is, have you really identified the, the start and the cause and put a stop to it? Or, or are you sending teams playing where you're not sure yet if someone is just incubating and hasn't tested yet? Well, and, and this is one of the complications that, that nobody's going to be able to run away from. Like These are the issues that I would tell everybody – need to be everybody's going to sit down and solve every every time there's a complication with COVID, it cre creates a question of what's our protocol is the protocol right and does the protocol need to change and those that that's going to be a, a varying thing through this whole process so for the nba they're going to have to figure out what they're doing and what they're going to do moving forward and if the numbers continue to just spiral then you do have to wonder what the nba is going to look to next because cancellation and postponement becomes such a complication and that's not the only complication i mean canada is no longer allowing unvaccinated athletes to have an exception starting january 15th so the nba has now had to release a memo that is a change for unvaccinated players in the light of their government ruling uh, with exceptions to the status so you know in canada now visiting athletes will be required to be fully vaccinated so all of these things it's like the nba can only do sarah what they can do and then they're going to have to bend to whatever the governments are doing or whatever needs to be done to keep the numbers under control well and we've seen certain players like kyrie irving have to you know take stock of this much earlier because his home state had regulations that affected his unvaccinated status now you're looking at teams that will not be able to send unvaccinated players on road trips to play the Raptors, because they won't be able to get back in. Um, so changing rules in other places, and that could happen in states as well as we see numbers go up, which could make things even more complicated, especially, again, because the NBA is an indoor sport, which is very different than the way the NFL has been able to handle these things. Well, and how many times have we talked about whatever the individuals that play these sports want to do? Not only do they have to figure it out within their union and within their league, but also within their municipality. Like, uh, mm -hmm. government's not going to change law just to make sure that we get basketball the way we want to see it. All right, we're less than an hour from kickoff of a huge game for the Steelers and Vikings. We'll check in on Pittsburgh and what this final stretch means to them with an expert next, Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Getting us ready for a little Thursday night football tonight. Steelers Vikings as Fitz said we don't want to watch it but we will and there and there are some things on the line tonight for these teams Sarah Spain Jason Fitz ESPN Radio ESPN app Sirius XM channel 80 joining us now on the Goodyear hotline ESPN NFL Nation Steelers reporter Brooke Pryor Brooke thanks for the time yeah of course I am off the field and in a quiet place unlike 
I think the last time we talked before a primetime game. So yeah, there was a lot going on. Hopefully, we won't get run over by play. Yeah, a lot going on. Safety first. Safety first. Let's start with the strength of this Pittsburgh team: the pass rush, T.J. Watt in particular. But they have a big challenge ahead of them because of the Vikings' pass protection. They're allowing sacks on just 4% of pass attempts. That's second best in the NFL. What's the approach tonight for how they can still make good on one of their strengths in a, in a game like this? Well, I think, I mean, the, it starts here with momentum when you look at the way that they played against the Ravens. I mean, that defensive line really got after Lamar Jackson with Chris Wormley having, I think, two and a half sacks, Kim Hayward a sack, TJ Watt three and a half. I think you just have to let them pin their ears back and go. And also, on the offensive side, score early. So they're having to throw and they're having they're putting them in those positions. You cannot get behind early in this game and handicap your, your pass rush even more. But I think the Steelers, from at least the momentum standpoint, are in a good spot because they just had this good game. And yes, it's a short turnaround and, and all of that, and their bodies may not be right, but they did get incredibly lucky in that Ravens game. It's really physical, but they didn't come out of it with any significant injuries. And T.J. Watt is playing the best he has all year after not practicing a whole week because he tested positive for COVID-19. But T.J. Watt does things that nobody else can do, and that is among them. So how do they manufacture offense consistently? You know, I know obviously it was an issue against the Ravens. Do you credit the Ravens' defense for that or problems with the Steelers' offense? Yeah, I mean, the, the inconsistency of the Steelers' offense has kind of been the theme of, of this season. Um, I mean, you look at even the Chargers game where it's stagnant for three quarters of the fourth quarter, they come alive. It was kind of the same thing against the Ravens where first half they couldn't really get anything going, couldn't sustain any drives. And then Deontay Johnson drops what should have been a touchdown at the end of the half. And then second half, they finally get something going. And I think for the Steelers, the key here is running more of that no-huddle offense that they have been kind of reluctant to even call a no-huddle. The Steelers call it a two-minute offense or a tempo, a pace offense. But really, it's no-huddle. Like, we asked Deontay Johnson about it, and he was like, yeah, it's no-huddle. And Ben is much better running it when he's in control and he's comfortable. So, I think it was less about what the Ravens defense did in that fourth quarter and more about what the Steelers offense was able to do when they just put Bennett in the driver's seat and let him just kind of go off field, draw, do, do the proverbial drop plays in the dirt that he's talked about doing in previous seasons, but really just let Ben be Ben and don't try to, you know, handcuff him and call plays that just aren't working. Um, I think for the Steelers offense to continue to be successful, you have to let Ben Roethlisberger run things the way he wants to run them, understanding that, hey, maybe next year, Matt Canada, you'll have more responsibilities and can do more with a different quarterback. Brooke Pryor is with us here on Spain and Fitz, our ESPN NFL Nation Steelers reporter ahead of Thursday Night Football tonight, Vikings-Steelers. This might be one of those days that feeds into what Roethlisberger wants to do in terms of being effective because of a good running game. Najee Harris, just two 100-yard games all season, but the Vikings' run defense is 29th in the league. They've got a struggling and, and injured defensive front right now. Do you think they'll try to see just how much they can establish the run early, uh, see if this is a night for a Najee Harris to break out? Yeah, I think they have to because the last couple of games, I think he had 71 yards in the last one. But before that, I mean, against the Bengals, he did not have a very good day. They split carries more often. The game before that against the Chargers also didn't have a great day on the ground. But I think the Steelers have found something in their offensive line and John LeGlue, who came in at right guard 
or left guard, excuse me, after injuries. I think he's the fourth guy to have started in that position. But when he played last week after B.J. Finney got hurt early, the run game got much more efficient and effective. And especially I look at that last drive against the Ravens. They were able to, to pull off runs. Najee had, I think, 13 yards and eight yards. And Benny Snell had five yards and eight yards. And a lot of that was because of LeGlue. And I just think that the offensive line found something there and was able to not only run that no huddle that Ben likes to run, but also just move the ball when they really needed to. And if they can go back to doing that and do it early and establish that run game, it's going to open up a lot more offensively for the Steelers and things will look a lot prettier than they have in more of the first half that we've seen this season. It's Peyton and Fitz on ESPN Radio. We're talking to Brooke Pryor, ESPN NFL Nation Steelers reporter. Brooke, you just mentioned the offensive line a couple of times. Najee is a first-round draft pick and somebody that I think everybody was really high on coming out. And so uh, given the fact that he hasn't had sustained success, is there any sort of sense within the building that there's a Najee issue or is it just on the offensive line? No, I think this is a purely offensive line thing. I mean, it's almost like you gave your kid a Christmas toy but didn't give them batteries or didn't fully charge the toy before you <laughs> gave it to them. So it's just not able to have the maximum power, and that's been the problem with Najee. I mean, he's shown incredible grit, his yards after contact. I mean, he's, I think, showing a real ability to break those tackles and turn runs that would have been one or two a year ago to three or four or five. He is doing everything right. This is not a Najee problem. This is very much... They gave him an offensive line that was always going to be a work in progress. And there were signs early that they were getting better. And then they kind of plateaued and they just are not better than the group last year, which is concerning on a lot of levels because that was one of the priorities in the off season when you can't resign Al Villanueva and David DeCastro retires and Marquise Pouncey retires. I mean, you hope that the organization finds a way to fill in for those guys, but right now, they don't have a consistent offensive line. They don't really have a veteran presence beyond Trey Turner, who is new to the organization. And I think that they just don't have an identity and haven't gelled. And because of that, Najee hasn't been able to really get going. And while he has, I mean, he's setting he's close to setting records as a rookie for the Steelers organization, it just it hasn't looked as flashy, I think, as we thought it would. And that's because of the line. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz on ESPN Radio, talking to Brooke Pryor about the Steelers ahead of tonight's game. You know, looking at the standings, they are so packed. I mean, it's just incredible when you look at the, the teams that are still sort of on the brink in the mix in the AFC. You know, the the number 13 team in the Dolphins is 6-7. and seven. Steelers are 6-5-1. and one. There's not that much of a difference there. Right now, they would not be in the playoffs. What is the feeling of Pittsburgh fans, what is the expectation? Here in Chicago, it's just, all right, let's get as good a look at Justin Fields as we can. This one's over. But the expectations for Big Ben in his last year and for this team after last year starting strong, I imagine we're a lot higher, and, and this has been pretty ugly. Yeah, I think that, yes, the expectations were higher, but there was also some reservation in getting your hopes up too much because, yes, Ben is back, but it's a 39-year-old Ben that is back. He didn't, you know – get 10 years younger in the offseason. So they kind of knew that that wasn't going to be really pretty. They knew the offensive line was going to be a question mark. I think there was more hope and optimism that Najee Harris would be effective or more effective than he's been. But that was kind of looked at in a vacuum, not factoring in that the line wasn't going to be great. Um, I think the biggest disappointment has been just the inconsistency on the defensive side. 
and part of that is the injuries and COVID list. And, I mean, you have games where, you know, the nose tackle is a guy that got to Pittsburgh on Tuesday and is starting on Sunday. Um, <laughs> I just think that that has been a big letdown when you look at, well, they could have had Stephon Chewett out there and Tyson Alulu, and then he breaks his ankle. Um, Joe Hayden hasn't played for, for a number of weeks because of a foot sprain. T.J. Watt has been injured sometimes. I think that it's kind of disappointing on that side, and especially their run defense has been atrocious this year. And it's just been inconsistent. And when you look at how well they started out against Buffalo, especially defensively, and it just hasn't been consistent all season. But I think that this team, and the fan base at least, isn't giving up because they know this is you know the last five games that they're going to see Ben Roethlisberger, and they'd like to have six or seven if they can get to the playoffs. So, there is, I think, quiet hope, but, you know, how much do you really want, how much faith do you really want to put in a team that tied the Lions and is in just this incredibly crowded division? So they are watching, but there's a lot of holding their breath and, and white knuckle, you know, grabbing. Awesome stuff, Brooke. We look forward to the game tonight, and this will be very interesting how this game and the next couple of weeks have an effect on so many different players on both of these sides. Enjoy the coverage, and, and thanks for the time. Thanks, thanks guys. Brooke Pryor, ESPN NFL Nation Steelers reporter with us on Spain and Fitz. Don't forget, listen to the Man in the Arena podcast, a 10-part series exploring how sports impacts our everyday lives through the lens of Tom Brady's career. Brought to you by ZipRecruiter and available wherever you get your podcasts. Coming up on Spain and Fitz, what's the one team in the history of sports you want to see a glossy series on? We'll explain next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. This is Spain and Fitz. The pick five portion of it is pretty easy. The loser's going to have to write a parody song uh, for the winner. And that's that's pretty easy given the fact that we yeah, are... Extolling the virtues of the uh, opposing yes. host, yes. I was never going to come with extolling the virtues as a sentence that I could actually complete. <laughs> Check this out, though. First of all, you're throwing too many big words at me. We have a polar plunge on the line. So polar wow, plunge for Polar picks plunge for is... our preseason... <laughs> mm-hmm. Polar plunge for our preseason pick portion. Yes, which is not going to be good for my... Never mind, I won't use another word that starts with P. My twig and berries. <laughs> oh, Stosh. That, that was a great... It, it featured Fitz not understanding big words, me not saying words, P words that were also unsaid. Well done. Spain and Fitz. Uh, Fitz slowly Classy marching toward a polar business. plunge yeah. and a song about my virtues. I feel good about all of this. I am leading the way. I forgot to mention yesterday as we were just making you feel bad about everything. I also beat you in fantasy. <laughs> just oh, in yeah, case yeah. you That's become a thing this year. Everybody beats me in fantasy. Like I started oh, off hot in in two of my four leagues and now I'm I'm like I'm in last place in all of them. Oh I, no. I, I, yeah, wow. like things are, well not our league. I'm I'm, I'm Fitz, not this is well not in true league. in any I'm, way. We, not in our league. I just yeah, you're right. Our league's the one league that I'm not in last place, but if we were on the in the better half of this stash, we would not be anywhere near the conversation. I mean, our league's the only one that matters, right? I mean, uh, clearly, fair. yes. That's fair. Uh, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Uh, watching the uh, timeline fly by today, I was momentarily stopped and transfixed by the trailer for a new series. And I've heard a lot about this um, in the weeks leading up to this, particularly because Adam McKay and Will Farrell, who if I'm not mistaken, co-founded Funny or Die together, have mm-hmm. this in- incredibly long relationship of working together on, on a number of things. 
haven't spoken in a long time, have essentially broken up like a married couple Mm -hmm. over this this series about the Lakers. Will Ferrell wanted to play Jerry Buss in this in this series. And McKay said, you know, it just wasn't, he doesn't look enough like him, and there's too much to Farrell that sort of would take away from it really feeling like Jerry Buss. And, you know, the perfect person was John C. Riley, who just happens to be his best friend, Will Farrell's best friend. Um, so he goes forward, casts John C. Riley over Farrell, and allegedly... Um, they are they are not speaking. It was sort of the final blow. They already had an issue. McKay has been doing interviews about this uh, this winning time Lakers series, hoping that they come to terms uh, and, and find their way back to each other. Uh, during the interviews, he's been saying he still really really loves Will Ferrell and all that. But it's kind of crazy that the drama behind the scenes of this seems to match a lot of what uh, on screen is is predicted. This very sexy, dramatic, um, swaggy 70s vibe to this series that features, fits a ton of super famous people. Yeah, and look, I'm all in for, by, by the way, I'm, I'm heartbroken that the two of them haven't been able to figure I it know. out because their work has been sp- so spectacular. I didn't know it was over this series, which makes a lot of sense. I had heard through the rumor mill they had different approaches on how they wanted to create to, to create their projects, but this makes way more sense. I mean, and I think Adam might be right on this because I couldn't, there's no way I'm seeing Will Ferrell in any basketball, anything, and not thinking semi-pro the whole time. Like, if he's right, not wrestling right, right, a bear... Right. That's all I'm thinking about. So, you know, but it is interesting because there's so many great stylized stories from 70s, 80s, early 90s. Like things were so different then. And I think TV and streaming shows have done such a nice job of recapturing sort of moments and feels of different cultural times that I'm excited to see what they show out of this because it was such a hyped time around the Lakers and such an era like of Showtime and swag and all these things. Like I just I I think it, it makes for great TV if they can pull it off the right way. 100%. 100%. The trailer, you have to go watch, but here's a little bit of it, just uh, the audio side. Style. Pizzazz. I don't know why basketball can't feel like that. To me, Dr. Buss. It's showtime! It do. Yeah, I mean, watch the whole thing. And that's courtesy of HBO um, and HBO Max. It's called Winning Time. We wanted to ask you all, based on the the trailer, and and again, the cast is... um, pretty incredible and some of it's a little surprising i don't know that i would have pictured um someone like adrian brody as as pat riley uh but they're making it work john c riley again as as jerry bus sally field as as the um bus matriarch um jason clark as jerry west gabby hoffman as claire rothman um Couple newbies, especially as, as as Magic Johnson, Michael Chiklis is in there. Jason Siegel is Paul Westhead. Um, a whole lot of people that you'll recognize, and uh, you're looking at that, thinking, "Who would I like to see in some of the other? Um, you know, what team would I like to see in this same sort of stylistic, sexy um, series like this?" And it's not a documentary. It's it's, and that's something that at first you imagine this to be more like The Last Dance, right? Yeah, when I first saw the, you know, because. 
I'm a child that apparently doesn't have the attention span to read two article, two paragraphs in an article. I read the first paragraph out of the Variety statement, and it read like it was sort of a documentary. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. That'll be really cool. I wonder who they interviewed. And then we start getting ready for the show, and you're like, no, they're, they're, they're John C. Riley's in it. I'm like, what? So, yeah, uh, I, I think it's actually – this is what what's exciting for me is to see it done – in a stylized way where it doesn't have to worry about keeping a bunch of egos happy and making another cheesy documentary. Like I'm all in for this and it, because it's being acted out. I mean, for something like the bulls, the last dance was perfection to me. Um, it's Spain and Fitz, by the way, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. I'm such a massive bulls fan. There was so much to get into there, but that, that even though ostensibly it was about that final season, there was plenty of flashbacks to previous time. There was a lot of ground to cover there and it just worked. Uh, for me to see the actual athletes talk about it. But it's been very clear by the way we've seen Scottie Pippen taking issue with it. And, you know, Bill Wedding, or not Bill Wennington, um, Luke Longley had his own three-part doc because he felt like he wasn't done right by this one and wasn't included enough. So not everyone was pleased with how that turned out. You're right. This doesn't have to really appeal to those folks. I don't know how much folks like Jerry Buss or Magic Johnson or Jeannie Buss have had a say in this, but pretty wild um to to watch this if you're a fan and if you know the storylines well because of how like you said stylized and and sort of almost boogie nights-esque it feels yeah and you know it, it is funny to me because you're right I, i'm a little torn and i'll talk out of both sides of my mouth it, it openly because i've seen the ads for the movie that's coming out about kurt warner's life no interest like i'm out on, on watching somebody act out kurt warner's life i don't know why it just doesn't it doesn't hit me but if you're giving me a 10-part docu-series or like a, a drama series on this that, that is going to be all, you know, just fun and different, I don't know. Maybe it's because uh, the Kurt Warner thing is just a movie. I, I don't know. Right. I, is but, it maybe but, because it's also more recent? And, you know, you there's know, something about the sort of probably. 80s dynasty vibe of the Lakers that's that's distant and swaggy and Hollywood enough to be... To be to take you out of your space and in somewhere new, whereas maybe Warner feels, um, I don't know, midwestern and and more you know like we've seen it before. Yeah, and I think part of it comes down. You're right, the era. Like I think Stranger Things really captured the '80s vibe so well, right. and even the newest Ghostbusters movie, which is set in present time. Even though when you watch it, it has so many sort of little moments that it pays homage to. Uh, the 80s sort of culture I think yeah that, that's got to be a part of it like I, I want to see the way they make it look and the way they make it feel and the fashion that goes on and all of it and the way they make it uh, sort of the, the aura that they build I will say I was just looking at the cast list for the American Underdog movie about Kurt Warner's life and the person playing Marshall Falk has a very unfortunate name O.J. Simpson <laughs> yeah you, you change that you just O.J. Keith Simpson is how he establishes himself as something different. We'll go ahead and say just drop the OJ and go with just Keith. Go Keith. That's what Keith. I would do. Yeah. Don't forget to tune into That's What She Said with Sarah Spain. The podcast hosted by yours truly, fueled by Gatorade. We appreciate their continued support of women sports journalists and athletes here at ESPN and everywhere. Whatever path you take to greatness, Gatorade's proven formula is there to fuel it. Greatness starts with G. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our guests join us 
on the Goodyear Hotline, and we're going to go straight there because it's Thursday, and that means Thursday Night Football. You've already gotten a little bit of sense of the Steelers' side of this. If you didn't, go check it out on the podcast, wherever you get your podcast after the show. But in the meantime, now we will head over to the Goodyear Hotline where we are joined by ESPN NFL Nation Vikings reporter Courtney Cronin. Courtney, let's start with the most important thing. I've got Dalvin Cook in three of my fantasy football lineups. Should I play him? Is he going to get any meaningful time coming off this injury playing so quickly? I mean, he's playing tonight. He has the harness on his left shoulder, the one he dislocated in San Francisco. It kind of looks like, if you remember what Baker Mayfield was wearing, it's the exact same apparatus. So I would be concerned about fumbles with that, personally, and being able to catch the ball. I would also um, be concerned just about re- the, the risk of re-injury. I mean, this is somebody who already had a torn left labrum, left, uh, labrum in his left arm, um, excuse me, his right arm, and now he's dealing with that. So I tend to think... I was kind of surprised when I saw that he was going to be active and go to the pregame warm-up, but he's playing and he'll start. So, you know, if you have him in your fantasy league, start him tonight. But if you have Alexander Madison, don't be afraid to uh, also play him too. He could be getting some carries. Courtney, we were talking earlier in the show about how this is a, a, a bit of a pivotal game for the futures of many involved, and that includes a lot of folks associated with the Vikings. Kirk Cousins having one of his best seasons right now, so while it's tempting to point the finger at him because of that massive contract, they're sort of losing in spite of his solid play. To to whom do you assign the most blame for the last, I don't know, six or seven years of them just not living up to expectation? I think it's a lot of things. I mean, when we start with Mike Zimmer and the defense, you remember what happened last week against the Lions and that blown call on the goal line of just like guys not knowing where to line up and, you know, the, the defense that they were in where they dropped eight into coverage and they rushed three. I mean, that's, that's on the head coach. But you think back to like 2017, that defense would have made that stop. And ever since that year where everything kind of came to a head after that, like they started to – have guys get older. They had to start to dump some really expensive veteran contracts, all those types of things. It's just a different team. Like they have not been the same team that got to the NFC championship and they've been trying to like make that happen and it just doesn't work. So, I mean, that, I think the defense is where you look first and foremost, but then, you know, it's this conundrum with Kirk Cousins. Like you said, Sarah, he can look really good in some games and put up big numbers. The stat lines are always going to confuse you if you look at them and have not watched the game because you're like, oh, 30 to 40 passing, 340 yards, two touchdowns, an interception, not a bad game. And then it's like, wait, when did that actually come? Because a lot of that's playing right. from behind um, in trying to, you know, mount a comeback. And I mean, he did his job in Detroit. The defense let him down. I think that really when you look at the story of this season, that's why they've been in so many close games. We're talking to ESPN NFL Nation Vikings reporter Courtney Cronin on Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. So, uh, we've talked already a lot about Mike Zimmer, but let's keep it going. If things don't go well in this game, how much leash is left for coach? You know, that's the interesting question. There's a lot of speculation around it. And, the, you know, I saw uh, both Vikings owners, Mark and Ziggy Wilf here earlier, earlier today when I first got to the stadium. And you've got to wonder if this is an embarrassing blowout loss in front of your home crowd, if people are booing, what do, this ownership group tends to go with, the feel of the fan base and there's been a lot of speculation this week that the Detroit game did Mike Zimmer in and it's only a matter of time before they want to fire him I don't put it past anybody if it happens tomorrow if they have a bad loss tonight but it almost feels like this is inevitable at the end of the season 
that Zimmer will be gone and they're going to be changing direction because you have to think of all the factors that go into that, not just Mike Zimmer and Rick Spielman. Kirk Cousins has a $45 million cap hit next year. If you want him a part of your future, you have to extend him. Are you going to extend him with the same leadership group or have you seen the ceiling and, and don't think you can go any further and need to pivot course? It's Spain and Fitz. We're talking to Courtney Cronin about Thursday night football tonight. Justin Jefferson, obviously a big highlight of this season. Um, it, it feels like he's you know at over 100 yards per game, the kind of player that it's tough to stop, and a Steelers secondary that has really struggled at cornerback looks like a ripe opportunity for him. Is that something you think they're going to go after early on in this game, see just how much Jeff, Justin Jefferson can carve up uh, the Steelers' D? Yeah, I mean, the Steelers not playing, like you said, and, and K.J. Osborne has definitely stepped into a much bigger role these last you know, this, this season for sure, but the last game in place of Adam Thielen, and now that they've had some time to figure out what that's going to look like, I would expect, you know, a lot of targets for Justin Jefferson. He can beat you in one-on-one coverage, and Kirk is okay throwing the one-on-one ball to him. So if he has 11 targets, don't be surprised. And he's only 70 yards away from breaking his season, like, best five-game streak that he had from weeks 9 to 13. It was like 646 yards, something insane like that. I wouldn't be surprised if he gets that by the end of the first half. He's that good. He's a superstar. But you know Pittsburgh's going to be trying to key in and take him away because their defense is just a little bit better than uh, the Detroit defense they saw last week. <laughs> just, just, just slightly. Uh, how's the uh, Vikings offensive line going to handle that defensive line? I mean, there's so many, so many capable players for the Jeez. Steelers there. Yeah, I mean, uh, max protection to, like, the nth degree maybe. Like, I, I don't know. Uh, it's – that's, I mean, again, like we talk about things that have been a problem for the Vikings for the last six, seven years, and the offensive line is one of them. They've not solved that. That It's not a position of importance, I really think, the way that this, this front office operates because you made your right guard who's never played right guard now play left tackle because you're starting left tackle who you drafted 24th overall this year is injured and really wasn't playing a lot to begin with. Um, but it's just it's a, it's a rotating game of musical chairs every single week and that's going to be tough when you have tj watt and they can line them up wherever and they can do a whole host of things and make your life really difficult so i uh i think it's going to be the tight ends in there you know bring anybody bring people in from the stands to try to chip tj watt (laughs) and and the rest of you know the rest of the pass rush for the pittsburgh steelers because it's not going to be easy careful you might be setting yourself up to get the call uh, if you're just calling for random folks to get sent in against TJ Watt. A Vikings at 5-7. and seven. They're currently sort of hovering around 9th, 10th, 11th, 12th. There's a bunch of teams with that same record on the brink, on the outside looking in. If they lose tonight, uh, how big of a deal is that to this team looking, you know best what their schedule looks like coming ahead and just sort of to the expectations of the team? Yeah, I mean, their playoff chances dropped to 15% if they mm. lose tonight. And wow. you've got to think about San Francisco is the sixth seed. Washington's kind of surging at the right time of the season. And how far back you are with the likes of a New Orleans, a Philly, um, you know, maybe even throwing the Carolina Panthers in there too. Like, you're in the mix of these, you know, NFC teams that are playing way from behind. You'll be 5-8. and eight. Like, you're not even three games to 500. And you have the Rams, you have the Packers on the road. Like, they play in Chicago, and that's never, like, a friendly place for them. Like, I can't see them winning four out of their last five to try to back their way into this. I really don't. 
As always, Courtney, we appreciate your time. Have a wonderful time at the game tonight. Follow on Twitter at Courtney R. Cronin, uh, Courtney Cronin, ESPN NFL Nation Vikings reporter, reporter. Enjoy the night, Courtney. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. I mean, it, it, it doesn't sound particularly joyous for either side. We've heard the Steelers mm-hmm. side and the Vikings side, and both of them are like, eh, we'll see. Uh, but we I mean, do the know. The Steelers are sitting worse than your Raiders, so I, I think you can understand why they'd be like, eh. oh, That tie's going to come back to I mean, not worse, but I mean, it. six and six to six, five and one is, yeah. you know, they're, they're barely in better position than you, the Browns. You know, a bunch of other teams that are, you know, Dolphins, whose coach has already almost been fired, so it's rough. It's going to be hard work leapfrogging all of them to get into the playoffs <laughs> for my beloved Raiders. Uh, that's the season of positivity I have. We want some of your positivity. You can be part of Spain and Fitz Nation on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed. ESPN Nation presented by Dr. Pepper. College football's back. So are the fans. Return to glory with fans filled by Dr. Pepper, the one fans deserve. We put it out there uh, on Spade and Fitz. We want to know, in honor of the winning time trailer that has come out, uh, what team in sports history do you want to see a, a series or a doc on? Like we're, we're going like actors. That, you know, give us not give us the, the good not answers. Not a documentary. Yeah. Not yeah, a documentary. I don't want a documentary. I don't want no. anything like official. I want something that's going to involve actors, like you know, spice. Style, sex, everything. Drop. Yeah, maybe like maybe a little nudity. Like that's what we're going Ooh, for. Yeah, Coming for up, sure. the trash talking's heating up. One NFL head coach made it clear his team is going to win. We'll tell you about it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN <laughs> app, Sirius XM channel eighty. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. That's my smooth R and B voice. Did it work for you? Was that good? was that good? Is that? It was decent. Okay, that's, smooth, I'll take that. Smooth you know. grooves. I mean, I, nobody's ever looked at me and said smooth R&B. ESPN Radio presented <laughs> by Progressive Insurance. You can say big when you bundle your auto, home, motorcycle, RV, or boat. Visit Progressive.com. So, obviously, Sarah, you know, we get into this time of the year, and there's a lot of trash talking. And when you start to get to this level of trash talking across the uh, landscape, sometimes uh, there can be some takery. And the takery can be... Good or bad, depending on how you look at it afterwards. Now, the ultimate example of that, obviously, comes from Aaron Rodgers, who made his comment about owning the Chicago Bears. As we all know, everybody heard it as he was scoring a touchdown, and he loudly screamed, I own you, to a bunch of the fans. He was asked at his press conference if he has any regrets for the comment. This is what he said. I don't know. You can uh, you can question a whole lot of what I said, you know, we've had a good record over the years against them and, and won a lot of games in Soldier Field and at Lambeau Field. So it's been a, it's been a great rivalry. I'm proud to be a part of it. Uh, you know, we have uh, have gotten better of them the last, uh, I don't know, 27, 28 times we've played them for the most part. But, uh, you know, I'm sure a lot of times in, in you know situations like this, the trash talk is only able to be used if uh, – you know, if you're getting after that uh, individual that uh, that was trash talking. So in order to trash talk, you have to have a lot of confidence in uh, what you accomplished and uh, what you're going to accomplish in the future. At some point, what I said will be used against me. That's just part of it. But I have no, uh, you know, no regrets for saying what I said. And, and uh, obviously, I think the, the record kind of speaks for itself. Thoughts? <sighs> So let me just say that if it were my quarterback, I'd probably think it was very cool and fun. Uh, I will point out that he said it would be pretty hard to take any question with what he said. 
Uh, well, he said two things that were wrong. One thing he said, we got the best of them the last 27 or 28 times. Technically, they are 22 and five with him at quarterback. The Bears have won five or six or seven times, uh, maybe when he's been injured otherwise, but not every single time. If you have a dominance like 22 and five, you don't have to fib up. You could just be honest and not say every single game was a victory. Also, you said, I own you. Now, as someone who's very, very, very attentive to the words he uses and expects us to be the same, for instance, when you use the word immune, immunized instead of vaccinated, and you really want us to be paying close attention so that later you could say you weren't a liar, what you said was, I own you. And unlike in Green Bay, we don't get to claim that we own things because of a piece of paper we paid for or a game that we won. We actually have an owner. She's 98 years old. Give her some respect. You could say, we beat you. You could say, I win all the time. You could say, I got your number, but you can't say I own you because that is not factually correct. So yes, I can take some question with what you said. And again, if this were my quarterback, I'm sure I would enjoy it, but I don't like it very much this time. He just sounds like such a tool, uh, you know, and the great thing yeah. is I know I can say that about him because he's also made it clear he never listens to anything anybody says until Fair. he's suddenly hurt by things people say. I think so. according to ESPN rules, you're supposed to say he's exhibiting tool-like behavior. Oh, then my, you're not taking fault. a personal shot at him. My you're fault. just describing yeah. how he's behaving. I would also like to say Aaron, I would record. like to apologize for you. You just act at times like a tool. How's, <laughs> is that better? No. I'm just grateful that I no longer have to somehow try to have the cognitive dissonance of, of really enjoying Aaron Rodgers as a person and having him be my favorite player while hating the Packers. Now I can just hate all of them all together. It is much cleaner and much easier. And right about now, it's feeling like a much better life choice for me and, and an important part of self-preservation. <laughs> Well, our opening act, Canty and Golick Jr., uh, had some strong words about what the Bears should do with this. Chris Canty spoke about how the Bears need to exact their revenge. I couldn't imagine a quarterback that I was playing that upcoming week having the gall to go out there and say something like that after he did what he did in our home stadium earlier in the regular season. Like, once upon a time... You would talk about this as being one of those red dot situations and the veterans in the locker room, especially on the defensive side of the ball, standing up and saying, I got five on it, meaning 5,000 for knocking him out of the game. Like that's the kind of that's the kind of attitude that you would have players from yesteryear approaching this week with when you have a quarterback come out there and say something like that. I'm not condoning bounties. I'm not encouraging bounties. I'm just saying what the NFL was once upon a time. And for Aaron Rodgers to feel comfortable – and saying what he said this week after doing what he did and beating y'all earlier in the season, there ain't no way you're supposed to let that slide. Listen, I agree. Not about bounties or anything like that, but I agree that he shouldn't be able to come into our house and say that and act that way without us doing something about it. We can't do anything about it. We're not good. We're not a good team. So, like... It sounds nice, and yeah, we should try to put a hit on him. He's really adept at avoiding sacks. He is a very good quarterback. They are a much better team. We are going to lose. I'm almost certain of it. So it's nice to say all those things. I agree with them. Actual execution, difficult. Well, here's the thing. Like, I can say that I should stop Mike Golick Jr. from getting a cookie if I want to. That doesn't mean <laughs> I can actually stop Mike Golick Jr. from getting the cookie. So, like, I feel this. I want the Bears to stamp up and step up and make a statement. I'm just... Not sure they're they're capable. Now, speaking of capable, Mike McCarthy, coach of the Cowboys, feels like he's got a capable team, of course, and he made that clear when he went full Joe Namath saying this. We know what people think of us. We love that. Uh, we're comfortable who we are, where we are. Uh, but I'm excited about what's in front of us because, you know, we, we, 
you know, we're, we're going to win this game. Um, I'm confident in that and just, the, you know, the prep that's going into it. Uh, but, you know, more importantly, we're going to, you know, we want to improve too along the way. So I think that's all part about what the challenge of December football gives you. I mean, I mean <laughs> what else is like going to say? Both start with that. Like, I, well, these are the moments say where we're going to do our best and I think we've got a really great shot at a win and we should not. We're going to win. I don't know. I just feel like a coach coming out. Like, I'd be, it'd be bigger news to me if he came out and said, we're going to lose, but we're going right. to do of what we can. Of course, that'd be bigger. I guess the question <laughs> I have for you is, who will regret their trash talk the most? Rodgers, McCarthy for that, or Mina Kimes for explaining exactly what she did on first take today as she was prepping for around the horn? I said, yeah. Dallas can win. They should win. They will win. Roll this tape back oh. if I'm wrong. Oh, Literally God. the worst possible oh. way to go about it. That is glorious. You fell into the rule oh. of threes, the and then you made it a rule of four. In the back row while you said it. You went. You know, you oh, get in the it. arena, yeah. and yeah, I hear you. I hear you. you hear the roar of the crowd, <laughs> and you just do things that you didn't think you were going to do when Stephen A's across in the arena. You. That is Mina on first oh, take. That's funny. right. It's the allure of the take. It's too strong. It's like, you know, I'm a moth to the, the hot take flame, and I, I, I'm just flying straight at it, and I, I'm trying to pull back, but there's something inside of you that comes alive. <laughs> I just love it. Uh, she's going to hear it. She's going to hear it if that doesn't pan out. I, I, I would say that McCarthy will eat it the most if the Cowboys lose, even more than Mina. And I again, I cannot picture a scenario in which Rodgers loses, but even if he were to, he would still say, fine, 22-6 and six, or whatever his record is. Oh, yeah, there's no doubt. But I still think Mina will be okay on this, sort of, but Stephen A will let her know. So, like, oh, I don't yeah. know. Like, Mina is not usually one to get into the hot take uh, mm. realm. So, I don't know. Like, she she's not used to getting burned, right? So, if the <laughs> Cowboys don't do right here, I could see where, you know, Mina will regret it the most because she will be reminded on Twitter and by Stephen A both. Like, that's mm-hmm. not a pleasant place to be in. So, mm-hmm. you know, Mina needs to keep the hot takery to, to Stephen A. Let, let him... Let him handle that. Although I will say, when she gets it right, it'll be just yet another thing that Mina has mastered. Like she'll yeah, be undefeated standard. in hot takes, and then she'll walk away <laughs> undefeated in hot takes. All right, uh, coming up next, time to get a little nod to the pod. Plus, you guys are on fire about what sports series you'd like to see. We'll get you updated next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Every little step I take, you, you will, will be, be there. I always regret it when I sing along because then the podcast is just me singing all by myself. <laughs> no backing track. It's Spain and Bits. Sarah uh, Spain, Jason Bits. Uh, I watched the. Uh, uh, I don't know if you saw this on ABC, but this is you know uh, it's our you know it's our company, so we can brag right. about it. Uh, mm-hmm. The boy, a very boy band Christmas. I'm sure you did watch that. Yes, I, I watched that. Yeah, but the funny thing is, it was missing. Like it was 98 degrees without Nick Lachey. Of course, and it was like I saw the ads and I go, without, "You haven't yeah. shown me JT. I ain't watching this without yeah. JT." But it turned out to be really good. I can't figure out why one guy from Boys to Men was missing, but it turned out to be really good. A couple of guys from New Edition were there. Like it was. I'm yeah. telling you, whew, it was good. Something was I good. might have to. Might have to look up. You know what I wanted to look up was that Facts of Life live re-airing oh, I, thing I that they see just that with, did. Oh, God, yeah. I, I didn't that. notice that it was happening until it had happened. And I was like, I saw the clips of, you know, Gabrielle Union dressed up as, as uh, what's her name? And I was like, dang, like, I, I would have watched that. So I got to go find it. 
Yeah, I, it looks spectacular to me, and I love when they do those in general. So I'm all in on making it happen. Like, Jennifer Aniston, and, and then was, we uh, should really get one Blair. of like we should be we should get in those. Like we're, we're oh yeah, we're not famous. Huh? Yeah, we're yeah, not yeah. famous just, at all. That's I not mean, gonna work you out. Could, I'm so you sorry. could get into it, and then I'll ride your coattails too. I'll you just keep show saying up. that, and yeah, I have yet to be in any of the things that I'm trying to you know force our way into, like Dancing with the Stars and such. Oh, well, I played Dancing with the Stars twice, so I know people. Look there. at you! Is it on your own? Humble brag. That wasn't even a humble brag. No, that was just a straight up just brag. Straight brag. Just straight it's Spain and Fitz. We're gonna get to some of your teams you'd most like to see uh, in in a sort of series like the Lakers one that's coming out in just a little bit. But we do have a, see, uh, a, a recurring thing here on the show that we haven't done in a long time. Fitz, we have been remiss in catching up with the with the podcast, so we're gonna do that now with a little nod to the pot. I'm talking to Ivan Mazel this week, and he's written a book. I wish I could catch his eye, and it's about his son Max, who died by apparent suicide. And one of the most interesting parts of the conversation for me was um, him talking about grief. And one of the things that he talked about was he um, he he and his wife went to get his uh, pick up his daughter from the airport and she was back from college as they were looking for max and and he was at that point just missing and she said the first thing are you guys going to get a divorce and and he said whoa whoa and she said whenever there's you know a death of a child it often leads to divorce he said let's deal with one catastrophe at a time but that it really made him think about and be very intentional about allowing his wife and the rest of his family to grieve differently than he did. And in talking about the book, I keep trying to catch his eye. Um, he told me that it really changes perspective on talking to people about their lost loved ones. And I found this part particularly interesting. Throughout all of this, Sarah, I think I should probably point out, you know, everybody grieves differently and everybody does it differently. And this is just what worked for me. But uh we want to talk about Max. You know, it, it keeps him present as best as we can. And it's been almost seven years by now. But so, of course, time passes. But th that's just the point. When somebody dies, your interactions with them end and you have a finite number of, of, in, of memories. Mm. So if somebody can come to me and bring me a memory that I don't have, that's a gift. And, you know, and, and just to talk about him is a gift as a way to keep him present. So I'm, I was always, uh, you know, and, uh, I mean, I, people would come up to me and be sort of hesitant about bringing him up or say, I didn't know how to bring him up. And I didn't want to be a complete jerk about it, but I would just smile. And so they knew I was being nice and say, well, you know, if you hadn't have brought him up, I wouldn't have been thinking about him. You know, but, I mean, <laughs> of course it's all you, especially, those first few weeks and months, that's all you think about. So he's always present, you know, especially with somebody who, who dies, you know, tragically. Uh, so I, 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 yeah, I look, you know, recently when, after the book came out, his fourth grade teacher told me a great story about him that I had never heard before. So I, I was thrilled to hear it. Yeah, Fitz, I am really bad at talking about and dealing with grief because I have been incredibly lucky in my life to have never really lost anyone close to me. I'm knocking on wood as I say that. And I'm always worried about how I will eventually deal with it because I have no skills. Um, but having talked to people on my podcast about this topic, including a friend of mine and her mother who was diagnosed with a terminal illness, and they came on and talked about how to deal with knowing what's to come and not regretting what you've had and how you spend the end of your life and all of that, it's kind of forced me to think more about it. And what Ivan said just blew my mind. I just 
never really thought about the idea that no matter how long you have with someone, that book becomes closed and you have only what you already know and remember. So every time someone comes and brings something new, you get to add to that book that you thought was sort of finished. Yeah, which is a remarkable way of, of processing it and thinking about it. And it makes me think of, I lost one of my closest friends in the world uh, uh, several years ago. And I mean, a few years ago. But what was crazy is I was on the flight on my way to Bristol for my last screen test for SportsCenter on Snapchat when I got the text that said, hey, he's gone. And I, I, I was sitting on a plane trying not to have a breakdown. And I took a long time and never really dealt with it. And he's a huge he was a huge college football fan. And so I, every Saturday, he's a big Tennessee Vols fan. And so every Saturday, I look up in the sky and I say, you know, go Vols for him. And mm. it's funny because, like, I've never thought about it until listening to Ivan talk about it. But that there's a part of me even covering college football that feels like it keeps that relationship alive and real, you know? So it's, it's cool to hear that. And I think the more stories about that, it's, it's like everything else. The more you hear people talk about that stuff openly, the more everybody figures out the way to process grief because there is no one way to do it. And it's alarming to me having gone through it a few times in my life that it never really stops processing. That's the weirdest part about it. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Uh, you can listen to That's What She Said. Listen to the whole interview with Ivan Maisel. Lots of really good stuff in there. But I also talk about some of the other moments that have been really formative for me in kind of learning about that stuff. And, and one of them is an incredible conversation that Stephen Colbert had with Anderson Cooper. You can find it on YouTube. Um, both of them lost their fathers at the age of 10. Anderson lost a brother almost 30-plus years ago. Um, Stephen Colbert, when his father passed, his two youngest, closest brothers out of – he's the youngest of I think 11, um, were also in the plane. They died as well. And so his life has been marked by this grief for, for the entirety of it. And the conversation that he has with Anderson Cooper is incredible. And just recently, Stephen Colbert had Andrew Garfield on to talk about the movie Tick, Tick, Boom, where he plays Jonathan Larson, who died very young. And it came shortly before his, mo his own mother's passing. And one of the things Andrew Garfield said that was so profound was, Grief is just love. It's it's the unexpressed love. So no matter how long you've had someone and no matter how many times you've told them you love them, that grief is just a, a continuation of the love you had for them, that feeling not leaving you. And it's a beautiful way of looking at it as tragic and, and painful as it might be. So um, I, I do find that talking about it and exposing myself to the conversations has made it better instead of worse. So if you're like me and you're constantly running from those conversations and sort of avoiding it, um, I'd recommend finding some of those little entryways that allow for the conversations to sort of influence your, your impression of it. Uh, don't forget, besides my podcast, that's what she said, you can also tune into the ESPN Daily Podcast, bringing you a deep dive into a single story from one of ESPN's hundreds of reporters presented by Supercuts. Download, subscribe, and review ESPN Daily, available wherever you enjoy your podcasts. Coming up, we've got some of the uh, shows you want to see, and we've got Ramona Shelburne with all sorts of good insight on what's going on in the NBA and COVID. It's next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Make me happy. Doing it again. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Lots of news from Spain and Fitz Nation. A lot of you hitting us up on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed to share this, the uh, team that you would like to see given the Lakers treatment with that new Winning Time series coming out on HBO. We uh, we asked you, we got a lot of good ones. The 90s Bills, I love this, at Benjamin is Rex, who, uh, I'm sorry, Benjamin Rex, who wrote, uh, 90s Bills, incredibly dominant, had a coach that was a poet, a QB that partied hard, and defensemen that were legit insane. Uh, I also like someone who said any team who basically had cocaine as an assistant coach. Uh, the Minnesota Vikings boat scandal got a lot. The 86 Mets got a lot. 
Um, at JJ Bittenbinder also hit us up on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed. Uh, Sue and Diana playing for that Russian team owned by a man with quote-unquote connections. That would be a very interesting one. A lot of the Miami Hurricanes teams, UNLV, uh, the Orioles for that one Cal Ripken Jr. story. Uh, you guys are going for drama, and that's what we wanted, Fitz. They 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 understood the assignment. Uh, speaking of understanding the assignment, joining us now to talk about that Lakers series and also lots of other uh, NBA happenings, it's Ramona Shelburne. Ramona, thanks for the time. Hey, Sarah. How you been? We have been well. Uh, we sort of predicted what's going on in the NBA, though, and we're curious for your take on the specifics around it. There are five players on the Bulls in the protocols. The Pacers and Raptors yeah. had to cancel practice today because of COVID. Um, I know in the NFL there are specific rules around if an unvaccinated player is the cause for your spread, no, nothing happens, you know, you just forfeit, and I think that might be the case regardless of, of what happens in the NFL. What are the rules in the NBA? Are there any set rules on if it seems like an uncontrolled spread um where they would be concerned about these teams and players still going out and playing yeah i mean this is something i've been tracking for a little while there um and they've really stepped up the testing after thanksgiving because i think they recognize that you have that perfect storm which by the way the entire country is experiencing right now in the world the experiencing of people being six months and change past their first round of vaccinations or their first their first two shots and if you haven't got your booster yet, sometimes you have waning immunity. And now it's wintertime. People are indoors. Yeah. Right. And so they um, the NBA realized it was starting to get more cases. And and I think I mean, we can debate whether or not this was too soon or not soon enough. But, um, you know, you saw a couple of teams have some outbreaks. The 76ers had an outbreak um, a couple of weeks ago where you saw Tobias Harris and Joel Embiid and and several and Matisse Seibel all all have to miss significant time after testing positive for COVID. Um, and I think that you saw that start to go through the Bulls locker room. And the thing that was and now it's it's obviously extending in the Bulls locker room. And I think what's been hard for those teams is initially the rules were they were not doing daily testing. They were only testing if you were symptomatic or if you had been exposed to somebody, but if you're fully vaccinated, the rule was you didn't have to, te- you didn't necessarily have to test. And I think those were put in place. Those rules initially were put in place to incentivize people to get vaccinated. Okay. If you're vaccinated, then, you know, you're close contact with somebody, you don't even have to test. Right. But the science now, and this is what I think we're all learning is the science changes, right? The science at one point was if you're fully vaccinated, you should be fine. But now we see a lot of breakthrough infections and especially right. in waning immunity. And now, I mean, I just got an email from the Raptors saying Masai Ujiri ha- is yep. quarantining at home after he had a positive test. And so this is this is just going through locker rooms. And, and this is and a lot of why we're catching these tests now is because after Thanksgiving, the NBA started testing again and they're testing vaccinated players as well. And so that's where we are in the league now where you're going to catch a lot more of these of these infections, of these breakthrough infections, and some of them are breakthroughs, some of them are people who were not vaccinated. But um, generally speaking, it's just it's just they're going to have to get more stringent now because you're going to you're seeing a lot more outbreaks going through locker rooms. So, Ramona, given the fact that uh, they've had to change policy to match Canada's national policy when, yeah. when it comes to allowing people to come into the country that are not vaccinated to play, is the NBA looking at a vaccination requirement at this point? No, they still haven't gotten to that point, and that's really a point of um, – that's really the union. It's not the NBA. Adam Silver has been on the record as saying, you know, he, he, he wishes they could, could do that. But, you know, I, I, we're at a point now there's, – there's really – I think the stat is 97% of the league has had at least one shot. 
So we're only talking about, you know, a handful of players at this point. I think it's, I think it's like 10 or 20 players, somewhere between that many that are not vaccinated. Um, it's a, it's a very small number at this point, all staff, all, all staff has to be vaccinated because the NBA and the teams can mandate that, but they cannot mandate that players get vaccinated because the players have a union and the union thus far has fought that. Um, but what they can do is just make it really tough on players who are not vaccinated. And you saw that with Andrew Wiggins play out. You saw that with Kyrie Irving. Now with Canada, that was always a, that was always a, a possibility with Canada. It just happened now. And it, there was a sense that, you know, maybe COVID, relax, COVID uh, restrictions would uh, relax a little bit during the year. And I think it's actually gone the opposite. They're, they're getting stricter. Um, as we've seen cases start to rise. And so, they, you know, they're, they're, to answer your question, it's, it's just back to it's up to what it's up to the players union. And thus far, we haven't seen any anybody budge there. Quick question before I move on, Ramona. So we saw that the yeah. Bulls were able to use like an exception because of the number of players that yeah. were available due to COVID and injury. Is that kind of the answer? If you continue to lose players, we just let you keep yeah. adding. And but they're not super concerned about spread and just unincubated, you know, incubating but untestable so thus far cases. Pretty much, yeah. I mean, look, yeah. the, the answer. A lot of things, you know, you can get players from the G League. Okay, so Charlotte has gotten some G League players. They had a they had five players out in health and safety protocols, uh, and they got a players from their G League. And I think, Sarah, that the explanation, and I, I think this is valid. Initially, when people were when there was no vaccines, they were very concerned about people getting COVID and getting really sick. But now that there are vaccines, and the vaccines have been shown in most cases to prevent severe to prevent severe disease. I mean, the sense is you, you're going to get some cases, but your 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 uh, calculation on it is well, we're not worried about people getting this and being in the hospital anymore if they're vaccinated. Um, and I think that's that's why you see a little bit of a laxer policy. Um, and I and I don't want to say it's a lax policy; it's just not quite as strict as last year. Right. Talking to Ramona Shelburne on Spain and Fit. So, Ramona, let's get to the action on the court. Everybody's freaking out about the yeah. Lakers. How freaked out are you about the way the Lakers are playing right now? You know, they had a really good game against Boston. And so when you see them have a good game, you're like, oh, okay, if they just did that, that would work, right? <laughs> um, the problem is, and this is a crazy stat, okay? Let this one sink in. The game that LeBron James played against the Boston Celtics and on Tuesday night, was the first time all year he's played three consecutive games. Wow. <laughs> like three games in a row. I'm not talking three games in three nights. I'm talking three games in a row. This Tonight he's playing against Memphis. They're down 41 to 38 right now in the second quarter because I'm watching it in the background. Um, and he, uh, this is the first time all year he's played four games in a row. So you ask why the Lakers have not been good. Some of it is personnel. Some of it is, is they haven't meshed well together yet. But a lot of it is LeBron has been in and out of the lineup, and he's so important to what they do that I just – I mean, what are we going to – one night LeBron is on the ball and Russell Westbrook needs to be off the ball and as a pick-and-roll guy and a shooter. And the next night LeBron's not in there and Russell Westbrook has to control the ball and create all the plays. I mean, it's hard to develop an identity. Right. Absolutely. Ramona Shelburne is with us on Spain and Fitz. We just have a couple minutes left, but I want to ask you about winning time. This new Adam McKay series for HBO yeah. about the glamorous 80s, you know, Magic Johnson led Lakers. It looks sexy. It looks stylized. It looks super fun. Great cast. What are you hearing mm -hmm. about it other than what we've all heard, which is Adam McKay and Will Ferrell split up because John C. Riley is doing this instead of him. Other than that, you got any other juicy gossip on it? Or I mean, I, I know you're friends with Jeannie Buss. Is she saying like she likes yeah. the casting or she's worried about it or any? Did they have insight? 
Well, I'll tell you what, the, the NBA and the Lakers are not a part of this story, Sarah. Um, and I don't All think anybody's better. thrilled. Yeah, it's a very unauthorized uh-huh. show. Um, and uh, I don't think they're happy about it, <laughs> let's put it that way. Um, because, you know, I understand both sides of it, right? One, one is the unauthorized story is usually more fun than the authorized mm-hmm. version, okay? Um, but the unauthorized one, I mean, this is, this is people's lives and, like, they would like to be involved in, in some of the portrayal. I don't know if you, right. you know the story that I read. I can't remember what, what was it, Hollywood Reporter or Variety. What, what was it over the weekend with the with Adam McKay and, and, and uh, Will Ferrell right. falling out? Um, th- deep down in that story was everybody is kind of annoyed because they weren't involved. And so, like, some of the actors – I remember the actor who plays Kareem tried to get in touch with Kareem, like, hey, we should meet and, you know, get to know each other so I can play you accurately. And, and Kareem's uh, manager, Deborah Morales, was like, yeah, we're not doing that. like in other words Mm -hmm. they haven't gotten a lot of cooperation from folks and so sometimes that makes for a really good show and a really good story and other times there's going to be a lot of um uh how we say like denials rejections yeah uh, yeah. what i'm curious about is in the trailer that was released today which was fun and juicy um they did use the the logos so if yeah. they're not participating, I'm not sure how you use the Laker logo and the Celtics logo. I mean, there was like a Larry Bird in there. So yeah. I mean, some of this public domain and your public figures, but I know the lo- the logos have to be licensed. So there, maybe there was a little more cooperation than we know about. A little cash, I don't know how you... a little cash exchange yeah. tans, Ramona. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know how that works. Somewhere like, along the line, huh? That's right. Uh, thanks for the time, Ramona. Really appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. We'll talk to you appreciate soon. Appreciate you, Ramona. You got it. Ramona Shelburne brought to you by Goodyear, making the plays that move you forward. Goodyear more driven. Yeah, I mean, it does make me want to watch it more, but, you know, if I'm being a fair human being, it does stink to have your life story told and you're like, yeah, that didn't happen. Nope, I would have told you that to do that. No, I never said that. That's tough. Yeah, but you know what? I kind of love it. Like, it's going to be more salacious. The less people involved, that's what I've learned watching Man in the Arena. Like, the more people that are involved that actually have a say in it, the less juicy it is. So get them out yeah. of there. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.